Excuse me, excuse me, sorry. Excuse me. Oh, excuse me. Hey, uh, did you guys enjoy that? Give the band a hand, man. Appreciate these guys every week doing what they do. Hey, man. What's up, dude? It's going good. Oh. Yeah, you know, let's you know, laugh at Anson. That's funny. <laughs> Hold on just a second, guys. I'll, I'll be with you in a second. Hold on. How you guys doing? Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my car. All right, we're good. Oh, excuse me. What? Man. This is stinking. Must have been designed by someone who went to Georgia Tech. Um, let me pray. What? I'm just saying. I'm just saying, you know, it's, you know, it's a sad school. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you in this place. And, and Lord, just thinking about the words of that song, Jesus, Messiah, name above all names. And Lord, I pray that's what we would be about, Lord. We'd come here, have fun. We'd come here and, 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 and sing some songs and, and play Kajabi and throw each other around like rag dolls and, and have a great time and drink some Starbucks. But I pray that more than anything else, Lord, at the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah would be lifted up high here at the point, I pray for every single one of these students. I pray for those who don't already have a relationship with you, Jesus, that their lives would be changed by you. Maybe tonight's the night for that, Lord. So I pray that you speak to us through your word. Thank you. You've given us this incredible gift of your word, the Holy Bible. Lord, speak to us through the book of James now. I pray it in the awesome name of Jesus. Amen. Um, so, so here's what's up. We've been in this series actually since school was in and now school's out. And uh, we'll probably be wrapping it up in the next, uh, the next couple weeks. But just kind of remind you guys and, and to let you guys know that maybe you're brand new here. Um, the book of James, real simple, if we were to boil it down to one question, one core question that in this book, this New Testament book towards the end of your Bible is dealing with, that question would be this. What does a Christian look like, right? And it's very, very confusing in our world. It's very confusing in our culture and probably very, very confusing on your campus when you, when you talk about that. What does it really look like to be a Christian? What are the marks in the life of a Christian, of somebody whose life has been changed by Jesus? We're not talking about religion here. We're not talking about somebody that goes to a particular church. We're talking about somebody who, who their heart and their life has been changed by what we call the gospel, the good news that God loved us and sent his son to us to live a perfect life on our behalf, to die for us, a death that we deserve to die, to shed his blood and to rise again because we were lost, we were sinners, we, we had stunk stuff up badly, but God in his grace gave us his son Jesus to pay the penalty for us so that we might be saved. So somebody who's gripped by that and changed by that forever, what's your life look like? And so that is the question James is dealing with. That's a core question of this book. And so let me tell you, um, we're, we're, we're kind of hitting the end of, end of chapter 3, end of chapter 4. And I've got to tell you this story so that you know where we're going and where this next section is, is taking us in, in James. Um, I was thinking about, and it's no accident, but I was just thinking about, okay, we're doing Kajabi tonight. And it's a game, and it's crazy, and it's insane. And those of you who have never seen it before, you're going to go out there, and some of you are going to be scared. Like some of you guys, you're going to watch the girls play first, and it's going to freak you out. And you think that you're going to play, but you're going to watch them going, you're going to be, oh, I'm going, right? Because there's something in you, that fear thing. Because it's a crazy game. Um, but here's the thing. 
because we're doing that game, I was thinking about this. I was going, okay, okay, so we're doing this game. So I started thinking about games. I started thinking about different games that I used to play when I was a kid, like when I was a lot younger. And here's the thing I started thinking about. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I thought about this. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed that there are certain games that you play like when you're a little kid that because you grow up and you get mature, you grow out of it and you don't play them anymore. And if you did see adults playing them, you'd be freaked out. Um, so, so for example, they're kind of like the hide-and-seek type games, right? Not a lot of adults play in, playing hide-and-seek, and if they are, you call the cops quickly because that's not right. Um, and, and so it's kind of like those kind of games. So I was thinking about this in my neighborhood. You know, what were those games in my neighborhood that we used to play when we were kids? And, and uh, we had to find games that you could play cheaply because none of us were rich on, on my block. And so I remember one of the, uh, one of the games that we played um, was called Bouncy Cat. Okay, let me explain how Bouncy Cat worked. It was a great game. Um, here's how Bouncy Cat worked. It, one, of, one of my buddies on the block had gotten a, uh, one of those big trampolines. You know what I'm talking about? Like some of y'all had those, the big massive trampoline. And this is back when those things first came out. So there was like no safety to them whatsoever, right? They had the springs still exposed, kids falling in them. It was awesome. Um, but, but here's the thing. Like we would play this game called Bouncy Cat. And the way Bouncy Cat worked is we went up to my buddy's house who had the, uh, had the, the deal in his backyard. And we would, we would get his cat. And we would put the cat on the trampoline, and the object of the game was to jump on the trampoline to see how high you could get the cat to go. Um, and so, so that's yeah. Um, so that's that's how the game works. So we would jump, and the cat would go a little bit higher each time. And you know how you know how on this trampoline, like if you hit at the right time. Like, that sucker's hitting a telephone line. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was just awesome. Um, and for those, of you, for those of you looking at me and you're disgusted and you're appalled and you're disturbed, let me just remind you, um, it's a cat, which means it's, uh, it's wicked, it's evil, and it's about one millimeter away from being a demon, okay? So it's a cat. Um, and that's you got. Any cat lovers in here? Any cat lovers? Cool, cool. Free counseling this week for you guys. I'll do it. Um, the only good cat is a cat in my Chinese food. Anyway, um, I... I'm, I'm playing. I'm playing. It's a joke for crying out loud. I love cats. Um, I don't know. Uh, but we used to play Bouncy Cat. It's a sick game, I know. But, but, but here's the thing. The point is I grew out of that. You don't see adults playing Bouncy Cat anymore. It, they'd be arrested, right? Um, the, the other game, another game we used to play, um, another game we used to play, and I have no idea why this was fun, but it was at the time. But now that I think about it, I'm like, I was an absolute moron. Um, still am, kind of, but was extra moron when I was a kid because we used to play this, this game that we just called uh, Hide from the Cars. And any of y'all play this? I don't know. Maybe I'm not the only idiot. Uh, but here's how this worked. Uh, we, we were living on this street, and at night, cars would, would turn the corner, and they'd drive up the street. And the objective of this game was we would watch a car get really close, and when the car started to get close, we'd go hide from it. I, I, like I'm talking, I have no idea what this is. I think what we were doing, I think, I can't remember, but I think what we did is we pretended like they were axe murderers that we were hiding from or else, you know, Florida Gator fans maybe. And we, were, we would just scatter and hide when they would come by. But it was just weird. It's like I grew out of it. You don't see a lot of adults playing that game now. You don't see a lot of adults outside 10 o'clock at night going, okay, here comes a car, Bill, right? And scattering for a tree, right? It's just disturbing. Uh, and then I was thinking this, another game that I used to play that I grew out of was uh, King of the Mountain. Any of y'all play King of the Mountain when you were a kid? Yeah, King of the Mountain, classic. 
King of the Mountain's great because you, you could be poor and play King of the Mountain because all you needed was like some kind of hill. And, and basically, um, how it worked, for those of you that don't know, is the objective, probably the most self-centered game ever created um, because the entire objective of King of the Mountain was like find this hill and, and get all these people around. And the objective was you have to fight and claw and throw a bow and, and just hurt people, do whatever you have to do to be the last person standing on the very top of that hill. There was no time limit, right? There was no such thing as a foul. In this game, you were actually allowed to hit girls. That's how brutal it was, right? So you just, the objective, be the last person standing on top of the hill, okay? So it was crazy. It got very violent. Here's here's the point, and kind of here's where we're heading right now. Listen up. Here's where we're heading. Um, King of the Mountain, that game, really, 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 really fun when you're a little kid. Really fun when you're a little kid. Uh, King of the Mountain, though... It's a horrible, horrible model for you to take and and build as your philosophy of life. In other words, it's a horrible thing to look at King of the Mountain and go, I'm going to live my life with the rules of King of the Mountain. And and here's here's why I say that. Because unfortunately, I actually believe that we live in a world where many people, maybe possibly even the majority of the people around us, and maybe even ourselves included, are living as if we got our philosophy of life from King of the Mountain. And here's why. Here's why I think that. Um, because we live in a culture that, set, that tells us um, that we need to be obsessed with ourselves. We live in a world that says we are the only ones that matter. We're the most important ones in this deal. And we have to do whatever we possibly can at the end of the day to uphold our status and to be the most important person. Okay? Now, we have a word for that and the word is selfishness. Okay? Now, now here's what we find. In James, at the end of James chapter 3, James starts to talk to these people about the fact that they are living like that. And I want you to hear it, and I I don't want you to forget that really we have this issue too. Self-centeredness, we're egotistical, it's all about us, we pay attention to ourselves, we love us, we love to be the most important person in the room, right? We all struggle with this, and so James is addressing this to these people, and here's what he does. He he talks about this issue of selfishness, huge problem with these people, and then he's going to go off and he's going to name off two other huge problems these people had, and then at the end of this section, he's going to tell us the remedy, the solution, and the cure to all three of those problems. Does that make sense? So here we go. James chapter 3, starting in verse 13, let's look look at what it says. Um, He asks a question, starts off asking a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? A very important question. Okay, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So this is really important, students, because listen, James is trying to give us a definition of wisdom, okay? James is trying to look at these people and go, hey, um, here's the deal. I know some of you, you think you're wise. I know some of you, you think you're understanding But let me now tell you what true wisdom really is. And first, you've got to understand what wisdom is not. Because I think we're confused about what wisdom is not. See, some of us us think that wisdom is, uh, you know, being wise is that you've read a lot of books. You know, being wise is that you know a lot about string theory and astrophysics, right? So I'm wise. No, no, that's book smarts. That's kind of being a nerdy book smart person. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're wise. According to the Bible, and listen, according to James, wisdom looks like this. What he says, he says, show it by your good life, 
by deeds done, look at this, in the humility that comes from wisdom. Um, translation, what does it look like to be a wise person? It looks like to, to, that you're a person who lives, listen, in humble obedience to God. So if you find a person who lives their life and the heartbeat of their life is, I want to live my life in humble obedience to God. That's what I want to do. I want to live my life in worship to God and humble obedience to God, following God. That means that you are a wise person. Now check this out, because this idea is found throughout the Bible. Okay? This doesn't like start with James. It doesn't originate with James. You find this actually in Psalm 111, verse 10, where it tells us that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That the fear of the Lord, the fear of God, is the beginning of wisdom. So in other words, like if you don't fear God, you haven't even started with wisdom. You're not even close to being wise. Because true wisdom is fearing God. Okay, get this, because this is really important. Because here, here's, here's the problem. That, listen, and this is where James is going... That is extremely different than what the world tells us wisdom is. I mean, like, it's crazy. Like, it's not even close. Like, the culture tells us that wisdom is something so different that they're not even really parallel. Because we we hear from God's word, we hear from God that, that wisdom looks like humble obedience to God, living your life in humble obedience to him. Um... But the world tells us something different, and James talks about it. Look at verse 14. He says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such, quote, wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. In other words, for, for where you have this kind of wisdom that says, you know, you're, you're supposed to be, you know, evil and you're supposed to be this person who has selfish ambition and this, and this conceit about you, um, it's going to go bad for you eventually. Like it is. Now, now here's what James is trying to get across to us in this scripture right here. Um, whatever you do, listen students, whatever you do, please, 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 please. Don't listen to the world and pop culture and celebrities about what wisdom is. Please don't. Okay? Because it's completely off and completely wrong. I'll give you some examples. Um, one of the things that we're told is a very wise idea in our world is this idea, and it's even a phrase, that you look out for number one. And you're supposed to be number one. Like, I'm supposed to be number one. And so this idea that you need to look out for number one, right? Because if you don't look out for number one, ain't nobody else going to look out for number one. So you need to look out for number one. And looking out for number one, being obsessed with yourself and all about yourself, that's a very wise thing to do because you're looking after yourself because nobody else is going to look after you. So you look after you. Um, but here's the problem. The translation of that is, um, in your life, play king of the mountain. And do whatever you have to do and tell whatever lies you have to tell and scratch and claw and hurt whoever you have to hurt to make sure at the end of the day you're the one that's taken care of, right? Here's the problem, that that philosophy of life is completely, absolutely based. It's, it's completely based on bitter envy and selfish, selfish uh, ambition. So, so, for example, the world says, and you, you guys know because you've been fed this, the, the world says... Uh, you got to get an unbelievable education. And I'm not, first of all, no, I'm not against education. You need an education. Education is a good thing. 
What's a bad thing is the philosophy that goes like this. The number one thing you have to do is look out for yourself. So you got to get a really good education, get a really good job, high-paying job, make a whole, whole, whole bunch of money so you can buy a lot of things. This is survival of the fittest. This is Dar- Darwin mania, baby. And at the end of the day, you're going to have more stuff than everybody else. And so that is why. To which James would go, no, that's actually, that's actually foolishness and it comes from the devil. That's, that's from hell. Um, for example, let me kind of make it more clear to you, hopefully. Some of you in this room, I don't know for how long, but some of you in this room have maybe had this thing in you, this idea that you're struggling with, and you don't even necessarily know that it's from God, even though it, it, it probably is. Um, but you, you've had this idea that, you know what, I feel like maybe God wants me to go into ministry. I feel like maybe God wants me to do what Anson does and get up there and yell at people for 40 minutes and tell them that Jesus is God and, and pray for them. And, and, and I feel like God might want me to do that. And so you've had this thought and you've had this idea and maybe even you vocalized it. And then you've had people come up to you and go, you can't do that. You're going to be poor. You're going to live off ramen noodles and drive a Chevette. Can I, can I just say something about that? First of all, there's 10,000 things you can do with ramen noodles. You can put sausage in there. You can put spinach in there. You can put onions in there, sugar, make it sweet like a dessert. Um, second of all, Chevette's ain't that bad. Um, no, but seriously. Well, that is serious. But also, um, let, let, me just, let me just clarify something for you. Uh, the world's wisdom tells you that everything is all about you and all about money, but you know that God's wisdom is different because God's wisdom, you know what? God's wisdom isn't really necessarily about you. It has to do with him being number one. Um, so let me give you another example. Uh, the, world says, the world says this is wise, and if you don't think the world says this is wise, just turn on a stinking you know, TV talk show. Many of you know, most of you know by now, if you've been here for more than three or four weeks that that I grew up without a dad, that to this day I don't know where my dad is, have no idea, he might be dead, I have no clue, and no way of knowing, okay? Not even, dude's not even on Google, okay? And so, so many of you know that, but, but here's what happened. Uh, In my senior year of high school, and I won't go into all the details, maybe I will another talk soon, but my senior year of high school, the Lord made it very clear to me, you've got to forgive this guy, so the last time I actually saw him was my senior year of high school back in uh, early, early, early 1996. And, and I told him straight up, I said, I forgive you and I love you and I forgive you because Christ has forgiven me. I forgive you not because there's anything good in me because it's all from Jesus and Jesus forgave me. And he tells me to forgive you. So I forgive you. Last time I ever saw him. Um, but we live in a world that says this. Turn on a TV talk show and you'll see people on there who grew up in similar situations to me. And their attitude is, he stole my childhood. He left me. He abandoned me. How dare him? And everybody else, all these other people have dads, and I don't have a dad, so how dare him? And I'm angry. And you'll see all these people clapping, and you know what I'm talking about, and, and, and whatever else they do. And yeah, 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 of course you're right. You be angry. You be angry. And they look at people. Listen, they, the world looks at people who forgive, and they go, you're you're either weak or you don't fully understand the gravity of what was done to you or you're crazy. Because that's the world's wisdom. But 
God's wisdom is completely different. Now, how do we know? Because of the very next verse, look at the very next verse in verse 17. It says, listen, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, right? So like there's wisdom of this earth that is from the devil that, that we're fed every single day. But the wisdom that comes from where? Heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, raise a harvest of righteousness. Now, I want you to see something. I want you to look back at the verse. Look back at verse 17, and I want you to see something. you got to see this. you got to see this. We're told that wisdom of heaven looks like something very specific, and then we're given a list of words. And every, listen, every single one of those words describe Jesus perfectly. If you go back and read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories about Jesus in the New Testament, in the Bible, you will find that every single one of those words listed that tells us what true wisdom from heaven is describes Jesus. So he was pure. Yeah, he was absolutely pure. He was peace-loving. Absolutely he was peace-loving. Considerate. How could you argue against that? Submissive. He was submissive to his heavenly Father God always, all the time. He was full of mercy and good fruit. In other words, lives were changed wherever he went. He was impartial. He didn't show any favoritism at all. And he was sincere always, all the time. And so here's the translation. Listen, students, here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like, okay? Um, in other words, the more like Jesus you look, the more wise you are. So the more you worship Jesus, the more you obey Jesus, the more you treasure Jesus, and the more you follow Jesus, and the more when you sin, you get up and you you ask Jesus to come in and show you his grace, the more you do that, the more wise you are, the more self-centered you are, the more you worship yourself, the more you do whatever it is that you desire, the more foolish you are. It's, it, it's the prescription for, it, it's what wisdom looks like. You see it? Now, 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 here's what James does. He goes on from there. And he tells us what the second problem is. So James just stood up and said, hey, your first problem is this, people. You're incredibly selfish. You're in sin. You're sinning against God because you're so all about yourself all the time. You're the, you're the most important person. And you're harming people because of it. And then he goes on to the second problem these people had. Look, look, look at what it is in uh, verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. He says to him, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? So look at me. Uh, problem number two. These people are fighting all the time. All the time. They're fighting. These are people who claim to be Christians, claim to be believers, claim to be followers of Jesus, and all the time they're fighting with each other. Show up at church, right? People rolling their eyes, talking behind each other's back, you know, fist fights breaking out in the bathrooms, right? I mean, these are people claim to be Christians, followers of Jesus, fighting. What causes fights? Look at this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? In other words, um, you think the problem is somebody else, but the reason you're fighting, you know what, it's, it's, it's something wrong with you. Something's wrong with you. And then look what he says. You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your, on your pleasures. Now, now, here's the sin. Here's what you need to see about these people. These people were sinning against God because every time they got together, they were fighting with each other. 
So, that, so they have these arguments and they had this stuff going on between them. And, and they're, they're com- nobody's swallowing their pride and nobody's willing to apologize and nobody's willing to, to try to attempt to get it right. And James steps up and says, I mean, you guys are sinning against God because all you do is fight. You get together and you sing Jesus songs, but all you do is fight when they're over. Now, listen. Because I think there's a reason it's really quiet in here right now. Because... I mean, this is us. I mean, come on, let's be honest for a second. Y'all, there, there are plenty of people in here who used to be friends, close friends, really, really close friends, and now you're at the point where you're either fighting or, or maybe worse yet, you're, you're not even talking anymore. Right? Um, so like you used to, I mean, you, you used to be, inseparable, used to spend the night at each other's house all the time, sitting around eating Pop-Tarts and Pepsi, watching reruns of the OC, right, paint each other's toenails. By the way, this is for girls. <laughs> Fellas, if you did this, uh, we got problems. Wow, really? Oh, okay. Broke back slumber party. Anyway, um, that's not a good thing for you to do. <laughs> Why do I say stuff? Just... Come back. Um, it's not a good thing. But listen, here, here's in reality, listen to me, students, because here's, here's what's wrong. Here's what's wrong. Some of you used to be very, very close to one another, and now, uh-uh. And then here's what makes me sick. Here's what makes me mad. I'm a high school pastor, which means I have lots of conversations with high school students. That's how it works. I mean, it doesn't take rocket science. Sure. Um, but here's what happens. Like, I'll notice, I'll, I'll watch you guys, and I see who you hang out with, and, and, and then, you know, I'll see who, who, man, you're always just you're chilling with. And then I'll see you, like, show back up, and it's like, you're not even around that person anymore. And, like, something goes off in my head, like, ooh. And sometimes I'll even approach you, and I'll even ask, and, and I, sometimes I'll just ask people, um, and especially girls, it's just me out. I'll come up to a girl and say, hey, um, hey, I, I noticed that, I noticed that, you, that you're, not really, you're not really hanging out with so-and-so anymore. Like, are you guys fighting? Are y'all fighting? And she'll look at me and go, no, we just got some drama. <laughs> Can I just be honest with you? That is so dumb. Like that, that is just dumb. And when you say that, in my brain, the little man that lives there goes, that's dumb. <laughs> because it's just dumb. Because I just want to look at you and go, you got what? You got what? Drama? You got Drama? That's not drama. I mean, come on, that's not drama. Shakespeare is drama. Romeo, Romeo, where for at that Romeo? That's drama. That's drama, right? You had me at hello. You complete me. That's drama, right? I mean, come on, are you kidding me? Life is like a box of chocolates. That's drama, right? I mean, come on. What are you talking about? They can take away our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. That's drama too. See, there is drama. There's these things. There, listen. There's drama, and then there's fighting. And you're fighting. I mean, let's just call it what it is. It's not drama. You're fighting, and you found this little word that makes it sound better. Because it makes it sound more, I I don't know, maybe the thought is it makes it sound more temporary. Because the drama starts, and hello, how are you? I'm wearing tie. It's Shakespeare. The end, right? And it's over. It's like not serious, but but, but you, you're not, you're fighting. You're fighting! Like two drunk cats in a wet cardboard box. You're fighting. You're fighting. That's what you... Listen, we got to get straight on this. That's what you're doing. 
You could put another name on it to make, it, make, make yourself feel better. You could put another label on it to make it seem not as serious. Listen, you're doing exactly, we're doing exactly what these people were doing. And listen, James calls them out and says, you're in sin. You're in sin, okay? So, so, so think about this for a second. And by the way, I want you to think about whatever your drama is with anybody, specifically in this room, and I want you to ask yourself this question. Like the people that James was talking to, perhaps is it maybe over some pretty self-centered stuff? Maybe, maybe you're fighting over some very self-centered, self-centered things. Probably. And James identifies it and goes, sin. So you've got a huge problem. You're incredibly selfish, stuck on yourself, and you're fighting all the time. You get together and you sing Jesus songs, you do a little Jesus hip hip parade, have a little Jesus pep, pep rally, and then you go home and you're just fighting. And then, and then he goes to problem number three, and then the cure. Look at problem number three. This, this is very important. He says to us right here in um, verse four, look at this. You adulterous people, not a compliment, by the way. Not. And the word adulterous is very important there because we're going to see why. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? I mean, this. anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now listen to me because James, he, he says your third problem is this. It's something that in here, you know what, we'll call it worldliness. Worldliness. And the idea of worldliness is basically this, students. Um, let, let me kind of break this down. It's basically this idea that you, you claim that you have been changed by the incredible, incredible news of Jesus Christ. And he's your savior and he's your redeemer. And you didn't deserve him. And you didn't deserve salvation. But Jesus Christ was there offering it to you. And he was the perfect one. And he was the treasure. And he was the one who sacrificed himself on the cross for you. And nobody took his life. But he laid it down for you. And you claim that you've been changed by that radically. But your life looks like the rest of the world. You're, you don't look any different than people who don't claim that they've come into contact with Jesus and he's changed their lives. So, listen, and by the way, students, you know this. This is a principle we, we are constantly talking about here in this high school ministry all the time. But let me try to break it down for you easy. James, the book of James is a very, very, very practical book. So let me try to make this as practical as I possibly can. Because this is a, the idea is something that we didn't just come up with, and it's not just an idea that James came up with. Jesus Christ himself, in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, said, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds and give praise to your Father in heaven. He says, let your light shine. Be different. Be different. So this is an idea that Jesus said, he, he said, you're, you're going to be different because of me, you're going to be different. I, I change you, I change stuff, I forgive you and you're never the same. Um, so, so let me explain this to you, what worldliness looks like and, and what, what, what it should mean. If you are a person, listen, if you are a person who claims that this incredible, what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus has changed your life. 
and you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus alone for salvation, and you, you, you've set, you, you're all in. If you're a person who claims that, you should not be drunk and naked with your boyfriend on Friday night doing your best impersonation of Chris Brown and Rihanna. What? Yeah. I'm going to try to be very practical with you to try to break this down. Um, Number two, if you're a person, listen, students, you say, my life has been changed by Christ. He's my treasure. He's my joy. I want to know him more. He saved me. He saved me from my sin. Fellas, you should not be writing hate blogs about your ex-girlfriend. She dumped you. Get over it. Move on. You're just coming across desperate. It's not attractive. So I've heard. Um, ladies, I, I say this in absolute love as your high school pastor. If you, if you claim that Christ has radically saved you and changed you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't dress like your middle name is Hoochie. Dress like your middle name, Samantha, or Kim, or Marie. Everybody, if you claim, and this is the message that James is trying to get across, you, you become a friend of the world. You're worldly. You're just like everybody else. If you claim that the cross of Christ has changed you, that this message is different than anything you've ever heard, and it's right, he saved you because of your faith in him and your trust in him, you shouldn't smell like you just rolled around in a marijuana forest. I'm just telling you, like you should pass a random drug test. Like when we, you know, bells and whistles should not go off when you pee in the cup. You should pass with flying colors. I'm just saying. Students, listen. You go, really? Yes, really. Yes, really. Because here's why. Listen, students, here's why. Because we we play games. We're just like these people. We're just like these people. And we play our games. And we think, well, it's not a big deal. And yeah, I believe in Jesus and I trust Jesus. But you know what? I got to live my life. Um, Here's here's how James put it. You go, Anson, man, you're being harsh. No, I'm trying to be easy. Because, because James, James is kind of harsh, but remember, he's led by the Holy Spirit, so this is actually God, God's point. He says, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So, in other words, when you blatantly decide to rebel against God, and when you choose your own way and choose to sin against God in ways like that, in those moments, you are establishing yourself as an enemy to Almighty God, which students is a very, very scary, scary place to be. I mean, like, that's not a good day. Verse 6, but he gives us more grace. Here's the good news. And here's the remedy. Listen, students, because you go, man, Bible's harsh. No, here's the incredible thing about the Bible. It's good news. You go, how's that good news? Here's the good news. Because James just stepped up and said, you're self-centered. You're fighting all the time with each other and in sin. And you're completely worldly. Look like everybody else. But, verse 6, very important word. But he gives more grace. 
That is why scripture says, look, very important, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So here's what James is getting ready to do. He's getting ready to tell us what the remedy for all that stuff is. He's getting ready to tell us, yeah, you know what? That's all horrible stuff. And that's all stuff that's done with a very prideful attitude. And God opposes all that stuff. But he gives grace to those who are humble. And here's what you need to do. If you say, you know what? I want to be free from selfishness. And I want to be free from this fighting and this arguing all the time. And I want to be free from this worldliness. So what's the remedy, Jesus? What's the remedy? Here's the remedy. Verse 7. Listen, here's the good news students the great news submit yourselves then to god resist the devil and he will flee from you come near to god and he will come near to you wash your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double-minded grieve mourn and wail change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom humble yourselves before the lord and he will lift you up. So, so here, here's where we end. You go, what's the remedy? What's the remedy? Here, here's, here's the remedy. Um, the remedy for all of that stuff is broken repentance. Broken repentance. And that's a, that's a word we don't use a whole lot in here. We, we don't hear that word a whole lot. That word kind of seems like a religious word. But basically repentance literally means to change your mind. That's what it means, students that you change your mind, that you come to the point where God has brought some clarity to your situation and you go, God, I don't like that. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to be like that. I want to change my mind and you go the other direction. And so students, as we read the, the book of James, we see that it's very, very, very bold and very, very, very practical and God is inviting you to be broken and to repent of your sin. And by the way, can I just explain something to you real quick? That, that when we talk about broken repentance, I want you to understand that basically that means you come to a point where um, you completely and absolutely swallow your pride, also known as just give it to the Lord and just surrender it. And, and basically what it means is you come to a point where you don't care, you don't care how you look in front of people anymore. You got to not care anymore. You say, you know what, I'm going to look stupid, I'm going to look dumb, I'm going to look like an idiot, but I don't want to be in opposition to God. I want to submit myself to God. And so students, you have an invitation tonight to um, participate in an act of you submitting yourself to God and going, God, I'm sorry. God, I repent. God, I change my mind. God, cleanse me, purify me, give me the strength to follow you. And so that's what we're going to do right now. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads real quickly. Bow your heads. And students, we're just going to have an opportunity to respond to the Word of God. To respond to the Word of God. And here's how this is going to work. I'm going to invite you. Broken repentance is about you not caring what you look like anymore. You've got to not care anymore. It's impossible to look cool and to be broken in repentance at the same time. It's just not going to happen. Give it up. You have to come to a point where you're that bold and that, that honest and that desperate and go, God, change my heart. Help me. Change my heart. Help me. Um, so here's what I want to do. I want to invite you students just all across this room. If you say, you know what? 
Anson, I'd love for you to pray for me. And as a, as a sign of my humble heart and my heart just being in a place where I know I want God to change me and I want to repent of some sin and I want to be right with him and there's some stuff going on I need to ask forgiveness for and I need to just get right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to pray for me. And as a bold sign, um, I, I'm going to stand to my feet. I'm going to stand on my feet in here and just allow you to pray for me. And we're not going to identify what all those issues are. We all got them. We all got them for crying out loud. We don't have to name them off. But just as a sign all across this room, students, anybody who would say, Anson, would you pray for me tonight about this stuff right now? I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. Just anybody. Anybody? Awesome. And just real quickly, I'm going to pray over all the people standing because you standing are just boldly declaring, hey, man, there's some stuff that I need to repent of tonight. God gives us more grace. God gives us more grace. It's the incredible message of James 4. God gives us more grace. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Jesus, Jesus, thank you for that message of your grace. We don't deserve it. We don't at all deserve your grace, and that's what makes it grace. You love us just because you died for us, because You've laid down your life for us so that we might know you. And so I pray for every single one of these students standing to their feet right now. Thank you for them. Because this is bold. And right now, they're being very vulnerable and saying, I don't really care what I look like right now. I just know I need, I need God's grace. I need, I need prayer. And so we ask, we ask you in every single one of these different situations represented right here, right now. I pray, Lord, that you would overwhelm these students with your grace and your love and the promise, Lord, the promise that you will give us strength. And in our, in our weak areas, when we are weak, you are strong. When we are weak, you are strong. And right now, these students are acknowledging the fact that there are areas in their lives in which they're weak. And in all honesty, every single one of us could be standing up right now because that's true for all of us. And so I pray for these students, Lord. Overwhelm them with your love and your power and your grace. Thank you for them tonight and thank you for the truth of your word. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here's what I want you to do now. I want you to sit down. And let me explain what's going to happen in the next few minutes very carefully.